Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency. We are back. Today, we bring you our first interview that will be part of this new series called Anchored. Now, in the last episode, Scott Craven, Zach Reynolds, and myself kicked off this new series, which will feature a collection of conversations centered around real estate. Now, if you missed that one, I really encourage you to go back and give that a listen as it really sets up the goal of this whole series. Well, today we are very excited to be joined by Michelle Anderson. Michelle is a certified property manager and a partner at Plains Commercial Real Estate here in Oklahoma City. She has over 35 years of experience, and as you will quickly be able to gather, she excels in her field by creating strong and trusting relationships with her clients. Of course, Scott Cravens also joins us today, and he and Michelle will really dive into all aspects of the property management world and that sector of the real estate industry, if you will. I think you all will find this discussion very informative, and I hope you enjoy. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are uh, thrilled to have you here. I'm going to start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, history, and then get into your experience as a certified property management professional. So I'll turn it over to you as we start. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I have been in the business for over 30 years, so I'm a little bit dating myself. I've worked for some of the largest companies in the world. I came from CBRE previously. Prior to that, I worked for Trammell Crow, and prior to that, I worked for Transwestern. I've worked for some West Coast developers as well. My father was a general contractor, which is how I got into this business to begin with, and I love the business. So I've had huge portfolios Everything from residential to mobile home parks to industrial buildings, uh, commercial retail, big strip, little strip, malls. I've kind of seen uh, quite a bit of it in my career. So, Have you always had the certified property management designation? Or is that something you attained middle of your career? Was it always yeah. going to be your path? So kind of funny story there. So I married a Marine while I was in college. I did not grow up in Oklahoma. I grew up in Texas. Uh, I was a Red Raider, went to Texas okay. Tech, met a Marine, married him, moved to San Diego. And uh, the guy that I was working for at the time had a CPM designation. And I remember saying to my mom, I wish I could do that. And she said, you can do anything you set your mind to. So I thought it was at the time in my life, I thought it was only obtainable for a man that women couldn't do it. And I had a boss at the time. I worked for a developer and I told him that I really wanted to get my designation. And he said, I'll pay for it. You do the work and I'll pay for it. Oh, wow. And um, he and he's still one of my greatest friends and advisors and really taught me a lot in this business. So I did the work. It was much more difficult when I went through the program than it is today. I can remember in my first class, which was in Phoenix, Arizona, the first night, sitting in the middle of the bed in my hotel room, bawling my eyes out, telling my husband <laughs> on the phone that I was stupid and would never be able to make it through the course, but I did. Good so, for you. Yeah. Good for you. That's yeah. a great story. Scott, I'll have you chime in here. Um, give some background on your relationship with Michelle, and I can basically get a brag on her because there's probably plenty she left out. Oh, yeah. I mean, Michelle and I have not shared a personal relationship for too awful long. From a professional standpoint, both from a far and up close, I can tell you, Michelle's introduction was a good one because 
as soon as we talked about doing this property management podcast, she was the very first person that I thought about. If you talk to people in Oklahoma City who are in the real estate business and whether that's landlord, broker, no matter which firm they work for uh, brokerage wise, you will hear Michelle's name anytime you talk about somebody who is incredibly well-respected for what she does and what she's accomplished in, in her industry. I've bumped into her on occasions throughout the years, both in terms of properties that she's been involved with that we've had some client involvement in behind the scenes, and then just following kind of her path, uh, both uh, primarily from when she left CBRE and, and where she is now, which is Plains Real Estate, uh, which is kind of the, uh, it's kind of a full sale like real estate company. I mean, it's boutique and smaller, but they really thrive uh, in their areas. And, and Michelle's a, become a huge critical part of that team, but she is very, very well respected in the industry and has a tremendous amount of experience as she laid out. So more than qualified to guide us through a property management discussion. That's great. I love it. Okay. So you explained the process of getting your the, de the designation, but was there a reason you got into property management in the beginning? As I mentioned earlier, my father was a general contractor okay. and I started at the age of 12 working with him. And my mother was way before her time. She was this Jackie O type. And uh, she was 49% partner in an insurance agency. She ran it. Her 51% partner was the money, was the oil and gas guy. And she was kind of like lightning in a bottle. And um, at the age of 12, she said, you're going to start doing your dad's books. And so she taught me to do payroll, reconcile the bank statement, maintain the expenses on the general ledger. And cool. by 13, I got my hardship driver's license so I could go make deposits and run parts for my dad. <laughs> oh, wow. So by 16, I was on job sites and I loved it. Yeah. I loved the buildings and he primarily worked with oil and gas Okay. buildings, but I loved tearing the buildings apart. And my mother had dreams of me taking over her insurance agency, which I did get my license. I hated the industry, did not want anything to do with that. And um, I loved tearing buildings apart. And so we were happened to be working on a property and a guy came up to my dad and said, I think she has talent. I'd like to hire her. He was a CPM, which is where that came from, and said, I'd like to hire her. And so I started work for him. That's kind of how I got into the business. Wow. I loved it. I never looked back. That was actually on a residential, a multifamily apartment complex. And I stayed with them until I moved to San Diego. That's great. Oh, yeah. that's great. There's something about buildings. I share the same love that Michelle does because I, I got fed the property drug too when I was little, when I was a kid. And whenever you get a chance to buy something that you can improve, make economically viable, and you have to go through that process of construction, setting it up to be a stabilized asset, and then managing its maturity cycle. It's a very rewarding, I think adrenaline rush is the wrong word, but when you're done, it's just delayed gratification in the real estate business is very satisfying. And, uh, and I, I share her passion, which is very clear uh, both by what she said and the look on her face when she yeah. said it, right. uh, how much she loves it. So It's tough work. It is not an eight to five job, but you're right. The rush when the job is done and oh, you absolutely. get to see the before and after, there's there's nothing like it. So. I agree with that. What is the thing you've loved most about the business in during your career? Um, some of the relationships. I mean, I have some really long-term clients, relationships that I made years ago that, you know, they follow you. You learn how to work together. You learn every client has a different objective with their property. I have some that it's just mailbox money. 
Uh, they maintain their assets, but they own them. They don't typically take out financing. They don't sell them. And then you have some that are they're flippers. So they, they buy them, they do the facelift, they sell them, and they spin it into larger property. So it's really about the objective of the client and figuring out what that is so that you know how to manage the asset for what the end game is. So once you get to establish those clients, and then you get to know the tenants as well. I had a tenant one time that made the end for McGregor golf clubs. And we had to give them notice 24 hours in advance to go in because their technology was so specified. They, you know, you can take pictures. I mean, I've had some technology clients in the past too, you know, that they have rooms like this where, you know, the stories that they tell. So just getting to see those things. Oh, it's so much fun. Oh, I bet. So much fun. Yeah. What's the thing you love the least? (laughs) And do we have time to go over all of them? Well, I actually thought about that. The thing I love the least is the folks that you run into that do not have integrity. There's just no room in my world for, you know, whether it be a tenant, a client, a vendor. If you lack integrity, we're probably not going to work well together. I'm very passionate, as you said, about the building. And um, it's not eight to five for me. I want what's best for the building, what's best for the tenants and what's best for my clients. So you know, if we're not on the same page, then it just isn't going to work out for us. So lack of integrity would definitely be a big one for me. Oh, no doubt. And you see some of that. And Oh, sure. I, you, see, and, you see a lot of that. Yeah, you see a lot of that. I don't have near the experience that Michelle has, nor candidly do I have the expertise that Michelle has, but I've managed properties for over 15 years of all kinds. Just like she said, you know, we manage, as you know, Tyler, residential properties today for very small number of clients and then some commercial assets, again, for a small number of clients that ask us to step in in that. And it is not a business for the faint of heart. Uh, You do run into a lot of people that are out to get into your pocket, that do not have your best interest at heart, that don't care about your building. They're not interested in it. And if it doesn't have a, a steward and an advocate over time, the building can be eroded, both in value and in quality, because of people who come into contact with it like that. I've experienced that. I know that's what Michelle's referring to in large part, and it's very real. You you have to have thick skin and a hard chin if you're going to get into the real estate management business. Absolutely, you do. So let's move to what your management business kind of looks like today. Commercial, residential, what are the most common types of assets that you're managing? Uh, we can get into the, maybe the differences between commercial and residential, but what, sure. what does it look like today, and, and has it changed? It has changed. As I said earlier, I started out uh, at an apartment complex and residential. I did that for about the first 10 years. So I definitely know the residential side, but I will tell you that part of the reason I decided to get out of it is because as a mom, there's a struggle there. You have to weigh as when you're on the residential side, you have a fiduciary obligation to your client to do the right thing to take care of their property. But sometimes doing the right thing as a human is hard to do. When you have to put a mother and their kids out on the street, it's tough. It's really tough. It's tough. And you see things in residential that you do not see in commercial. That's their home. People are passionate about it. I've been doing this a number of years, and the only time I've ever been attacked was on a property. And Mm. it it had to do with someone being removed from their, their home. And it's as you said, it's not for the faint of heart. So residential is a different animal. It's challenging. It's very challenging. It's not just taking work orders, collecting rent and calling the plumber. That is not what it is. 
I can do residential. I've done it for a number of years and uh, continued to do it up until about four or five years ago. Still had several residential properties. But my true love is industrial and retail. I feel like those two product types are creative. They're dynamic. And so that's kind of what I gravitate to. Consequently, the clients that I work with, that's kind of what they gravitate to. So we we work well together. I uh, On the retail side, I tend to work with the tenants a lot about synergy, how they feed off one another or work together. Because if they're successful, then the property's successful and my client's successful. So it all kind of goes full circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This may be a dumb question, but from, from my view, for really both of you, what is this property management? What's that entail? I think it'd be interesting to have you explain everything that goes into managing a property. How many hours you got, Tyler? Yeah. I mean, we we could, I bet between Michelle and I, we could fill four hours of podcast time talking about all the stuff you should do to properly manage an asset. I mean, we can do a podcast after dark (laughs) and I can pour you all a glass, nice glass of wine. I'll tee Michelle up to just elaborate. So you've got sort of, I would just describe it as several buckets that things fit into. So you've got the financial administration. That's things like managing the expenses, the revenue, preparing budgets, planning, executing capital improvement plans, so forth. You've got the maintenance and upkeep side. That's everything from why didn't the lawn guy show up to why is the sprinkler running to how often are we going to paint it to what time is the plumber going to be there tomorrow to when's the parking lot going to get cleared from snow and ice. And then you've got the tenant side, tenant relations and tenant management. I've always been the worst at tenant relations quite candidly because it's really hard to play both of those roles, tenant management and tenant relations, you honestly almost need two people to do it effectively. At least in my experience, I'm curious to see what you disagree with there, Michelle, because the tenant management side is about holding people accountable to leases. It's about making sure that they know what they're supposed to be doing and what they're not, where they're supposed to be parking and where they're not, all those things. And then on the relations side, she almost went into it just now, which is how can we help your business succeed? Well, when you're having to remind somebody that they owe you money, it's really hard for them to want to take your call the next day on how can I help you succeed. It's a very fine line to walk, but those are kind of almost two separate buckets. And then in Michelle's case, you've got the owner relations bucket. That's going to be things like dealing with their financing, you know, dealing with their objectives, as Michelle said. So those are kind of some of the buckets. What did I miss or what would you add to that? Those really are the the major ones. And you have to remember, too, I always say there's a good way to tell if you have a good client. You know, not everything is covered in a lease. And there is inevitably those things that will come up. And that's how you know when you go back to a client and you say, this really isn't covered in the lease. When your client says, what's the right thing to do, then you know you have a great client. And equally with the tenant. I mean, believe it or not, I've had a couple of tenants that will say, you know, I did that. It's my responsibility. Even though it might be the landlord's responsibility, you know, I messed it up or, you know, one of my employees did. And so I'm going to take the expense. It's rare when that happens. (laughs) But it does happen. And so it really is a win-win for everybody if everybody's on the same page. We kind of play referee as a property manager. Good example. We need the tenant to know that we care and that we care about their business. They also need to know that we're going to check to make sure that they're doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. Back when I managed large retail I did site walks every single month and I went into every single store. I looked at their back stock. I looked at how clean their restrooms were, whether it was a Starbucks, uh, whatever. 
because if they don't succeed, I don't succeed. And if corporate doesn't understand what's going on in the store, then that store is not going to do well. And I often say that the store is only as good as the manager that's in it. And it's the same for the property. So you can go in, not all Starbucks are equal, not all McDonald's are equal, not, you know, not every store. If you have a good manager, you have a good manager and the store will show it. And so the same is true with your industrial tenants, any tenant really. So same is true for your managers. One of the things you've heard me say, I know some of other advisors and clients have heard me say is, People will bring us real estate deals, Michelle, will look at all the time. They want us to evaluate investment, et cetera. And one of the first questions I always ask, I don't want to see the pro forma. I don't want to see the rent roll, the property. I don't want to see any of that. What I want to see first are the fundamentals of the asset. So if it's retail, if it's office, if it's industrial, that's a whole different set of fundamentals I'm going to look at. And then the other thing I want to know is who's my manager? Who's responsible for administering this asset? Because Honestly, the difference in an asset's performance, a great property manager can make a marginal asset a very good, if not great asset, just through their efforts alone. And a bad manager can screw up the best of assets, I promise you. I see it all the time. So I 100% agree with what Michelle just said. It's the manager and their engagement with an asset is critical if they're going to succeed. Oh, it makes makes sense. You mentioned something earlier about, you know, you may have a national company that has local locations and then you may have a mom and pop small business. Has the interaction been better or worse on either one of those sides in any of those buckets? Your local mom and pops, they have more skin in the game. Yeah. So they care more because it's their livelihood. A manager that takes ownership of their store and cares, you can tell. Mm, Sure. Even if it is a national tenant. But a mom and pop will not understand the lease as well. Oftentimes, they do not read that lease, and you become the teacher because you have to educate them on that lease. The reason I ask, I feel like of those buckets we kind of just went over, the small business owner might have the most trouble understanding all of them. And so you do play referee, you play coach, you play teacher. You do, but on the national level, your store manager's probably never seen that lease. Nope. Rarely have they ever seen the lease. The good part about that is typically they have a group in their corporate office. That's all they do is deal with the lease, but they have no familiarity with the property or the store. They've never been there. To them, it's an address on a spreadsheet. So they, they literally have no idea what they're dealing with. Okay. So there's dynamics to both, but um, that's where a good property manager, as you said, comes into play. Um, Somebody with experience, as long as you have a a good steward of the ship, you'll be okay. I love that nautical pun there. Well done. Well done. That was not planted. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, that was not, that was not scripted. So industrial and retail is really where you focus the most of your time now, sounds like. And So we can kind of focus there, but we can also tie in any of your residential experience as well. But over the years, how often are you taking over management for people who have tried to do it themselves and have finally either been fired, so to speak, or are firing themselves from it and turning it over to you? I've worked for a number of the larger companies over, oh, I would say past 20 some odd years. And so most of my clients have been institutional in nature or courts or lenders. Um, So I have taken over some from self-managers. There's one that comes to mind here in Oklahoma City. I'm not going to mention the building because it's a pretty high-profile building. (laughs) And 
have the greatest relationship and respect for that owner even today. We still keep in touch. The hardest challenge is because the tenants and the owner become friends. There's a relationship there, right? The vendors and the owner have relationships there. And so then the owner realizes they're kind of out of their depth and, you know, all of a sudden they're not managing to the expectation of the property. So they bring you in and you're the third wheel and you have to correct all the things that have been done that were wrong. And so what happens then is the tenants, the vendors all run to, you know, the landlord and you're kind of the bad guy. And so it takes a while to change that course, if you will. It's done. It takes a little while, but um, but it's a challenge. The majority of those that I have taken over that were self-managed were because they ended up going back to the bank. They were REO or they were receivership. The vast majority of them, I have one right now that I just took over about 45 days ago. It's in my career, one of the poorest managed assets that there's so much deferred maintenance on the property. It's just extensive. And those are the sorts of things that you see. And those are the things you see with receiverships and REOs as well. Agreed. I think I would just add, that's probably something that it sounds like maybe the one thing we talk about today where I might have a little more experience than, than Michelle, just because of my background in the trust business. And then here, what I see, what she said is exactly right. You have to come in and your job, as she said, you know, we absolutely have a fiduciary duty. And I always did when I was trustee too, uh, to, to act on behalf of the clients. When you take over a property and they have not been administering it correctly, both for the financial benefit of the asset and its owner, but also in accordance with the lease agreement, you have a real uphill battle to climb. And the tenants want to make you the problem. And I've experienced this many times. It's very, very frustrating. The most important thing that an owner can do on behalf of a property manager is provide deference, complete deference to the property manager. You have to trust your manager to administer the asset and you have to back them. When those tenants start calling and you say something different than the property manager said, you are crippling their ability to manage the asset effectively. I've had that happen. I've had to coach clients. I've had to threaten to fire clients over that. And it's, it's, a, it's an awkward thing, but it is absolutely critical. So if you're hiring a manager, it's real simple. Hire someone you trust, let them do their job. If the tenant calls you, direct them back to the manager. Otherwise, you're, you're going to do more harm than good. So that would be what I would add to that. You agree with that, Michelle? I would agree wholeheartedly. I love it. That's great. Okay, so let's, let's shift. Let's get some advice from you because I think part of our whole idea for this episode was we want to educate those that are interested in the real estate world, those that are in the real estate world, to what the benefits a property manager brings to the table. What do the most successful property managers do that separate themselves? That would be kind of one area I think we can go. What about property owners? What makes a really good property owner in your opinion? As far as the property owner, you're going to inevitably have things that come up on every single lease that's not covered in the lease. I mean, the lease is a great guideline. Some clients have their own lease form, some do not. But you really know when you have a great client when they say, okay, well, what's the right thing to do? Or sometimes they'll say, what do you recommend? And I've always said and tried to educate those that have worked for me, never take the problem to the client. They hired us to do the job. So if there is a problem, we need to offer them solutions. 
maybe it's one, two, or three, and maybe they choose four, but whatever that is, we need to offer them solutions. So as long as the client tries to do the right thing, I think you have a great client. Equally so, you know, of staff that works for you, so, um, or your vendors. That's what I would say as far as clients go. It, it goes back to integrity. Same thing for the property managers. What makes a successful property manager? I'm sure over your career, you've seen property managers come and go that have tried to I do have. it one way. And so what, what tripped them up or what makes a successful one? Well, the industry changes. I mean, buildings don't change, but the way we manage them does. Technology gets better as it does with anything. Buildings get smarter. The technology we can put into a building gets smarter. We can be more efficient. Um, technology helps with that as well. If a property manager doesn't stay relevant and current, which is education, continuing ed, I mean, if you don't stay on top of your education and stay relevant, stay in the industry, stay engaged, then time kind of leaves you. And so there are those that feel like, okay, well, I've managed buildings for a number of years, so uh, I know it all. Well, you don't because technology is constantly changing. And buildings constantly change, developers constantly change, and you've got to stay relevant with the new technology that's going into these buildings or should be going into the buildings to make them operate more efficiently. Oh, no doubt. Well, and then you have to begin to plan for that cost. If you're going to sink all this money into a building, it's going to be that much more expensive down the road when it's time to make those repairs. Absolutely. I'll, I'll just add, I think the difference between a great property manager and a good property manager, I know a lot of property managers who are, who are good that I've come across over the years, and they play excellent defense. Mm -hmm. A great property manager knows how to play offense, knows how to plan for capital improvements, knows how to budget for those improvements, knows how to get ahead of tenant issues before they arise. They're not just reactionary to what's going on, a rainstorm, a snowstorm, a move out, an elevator issue. They're able to see things coming and, and, and put an offensive game plan together it keeps the building uh, running ahead of where its tenants are and, and where its usable life assets run out. I think that's a big difference that I've seen over the years between property managers that I really respect as professionals and the ones that I think are, are just there to make sure the tenant remits the rent on time. Correct. And, you know, there are those that think that a property manager's job is to sit there and answer the phone. The work order comes in and just call the the vendor to come fix it and deposit the rent checks. But our job is so much more than that. There's quite a large amount of liability that goes along with owning a property. And a big part of our job is minimizing that, that risk for our client and to make sure that they're covered with their certificates of insurance and that they're correct. And those things are written into service contracts and into their leases and that sort of thing. So. Absolutely. I've got one more question and then we can see if you have any stories you'd like to share. We'll let you okay. uh, spend some time either bragging or uh, counseling, just depends on where you want to go with it. <laughs> okay. But what's one of the most common issues you deal with on behalf of your clients that would surprise some people? Because you just kind of laid it out. A lot of people think property managers are calling vendors and casting checks. What's one of the more surprising things you have to deal with? The time commitment. Property management's time intensive. And it's a thankless job. It's not an eight to five job. If you go into this thinking it's an eight to five job, you will fail. You will be disappointed and you will fail. You are on call all the time and um, building emergencies do not come up typically during an eight to five day. So it's generally after hours. Hopefully, to your point, you've prepared ahead of time and you know how to get in touch with people after hours because you will 
need those numbers. So that's a yeah. that's that's a big one in terms of it's it takes being proactive and being ready for those after hours emergencies and the time commitment that it takes to manage a property. You have to really take ownership. You have to love the building. Sure. You got to love the building. You got to love the client. You've got to take care of the tenants um, and you got to understand their objective. If you don't understand the client's objective and the end game, it's really tough to get to the finish line if you don't know where you're going. A hundred percent. What she's alluding to that we don't have time to get into on this particular podcast is if you are managing a property to with the idea that you're going to transfer it or you're going to flip it, you're going to manage that a different way than if you have an indefinite hold period. If your objective is to create mailbox money, to use the term Michelle said earlier, you're, you are going to implement a different management playbook than if you're going to basically renovate a property, manage it to stabilization and sell it to whole different things. So we don't have time to get into that, but that's, that's I think, what she's primarily referring to. The other thing that I would add or just echo what she said, I've been brought into the room so many times with other advisors at our firm and in previous places I've worked where a client has come into the room and said, I was talking to somebody at a cocktail party, at an event, at this, at that, to, who just has made all this money in real estate. So I'm going to go get myself a, a rent house uh, or I'm going to stick my toe in by buying a small you know, shopping center. And the first thing I always tell them that is, that is surprising, I said, understand you are not making an investment. You are getting into a business and it is going to require your time and your attention uh, as though you were going to work there every day. And to uh, Michelle's point, not only is it not an eight to five, but Murphy's Law simply demands that you recognize that you're going to get the call at the least opportune time you could possibly get it. <laughs> Michelle and I could sit in here for probably the better part of the day and tell stories. I've taken phone calls while I was with my family in Florida when we had a, a, a storm rip a roof off a building and flood it. I've had tenants leave, you know, a Christmas tree unwatered and had to go to a building at 11 o'clock at night because it caught on fire. I spent a Labor Day cleaning out a garage for a residential property that was a hoarder who uh, his hot water tank started leaking. He had no idea. The neighbor next door's kitchen flooded because it was a duplex. And I had to spend my Labor Day digging through his garage to get to the hot water tank. I mean, these are the things that you can't, but the buck has to stop somewhere. That's and, right. And when you're the property manager, when it's, when it's your, when that's your job, that's where the buck stops. That's why the owner put you in that position. None of those things are ever going to happen at 10 a.m. on a Monday morning, conveniently while you're driving by on your way to your office. And you're already texting the plumber. Like, it is not always glamorous, and you can do 20 things correct and prepare for the worst situation. And that one thing that you forget, the one thing you miss, will be the one thing that the tenants see. So it is not, the rest of it will go unnoticed, all of the positive things that you do. So you do have to have thick skin to manage the property, but it is your job. Again, you have to take ownership. You have to love, love, love the property and the client and take care of the tenants. And if you don't and you can't do that, then you shouldn't be taking care of buildings. You should stick to passive investments. Mm -hmm. And real estate is not a passive asset class if you're going to be a fee owner of a property and not a limited partner investor somewhere. It is not a passive investment class. Yeah, there are those clients out there that will happily take your funds and they will manage it for you. You can be passive 
I've seen some of those and some of those are not so passive because instead of getting a check at the end of every year, they get a bill. There are those that are out there. So oh, no, no, for sure. Listen, as we end here, I think one thing we love to get uh, anytime we have a guest in is, is stories. And so you both just kind of covered some of the disasters already. So maybe we'll, we'll end with a, a positive story or, or, a client that uh, you had a greater interaction with or something that, that can help really explain to the listeners uh, why you do what you do. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. This was actually one that happened here locally in Oklahoma City. I got a call one morning about 6 a.m. from a property manager who said, um, I'm getting a call from the police department. We have cows on the roof of, our, of a commercial <laughs> building. I'm not going to name the building. And I said, Cows. Okay, well, that's not possible because uh, I, I'm not a rancher, but cows weigh too much to be put on the roof. I don't know. How, <laughs> I don't know how someone would have got cows on the roof. So um, anyway, they uh, come to find out we had just we were in the process of putting a new TPO roof on and it was May and it was a senior prank and the kids went up the turnpike cut the legs off the Highland Dairy cows that stand out front the plant going up the turnpike that you've seen, the white cows? Yep. Yep. They super glued them to the roof of this building <laughs> because they used the equipment that the roofers had there because they were, you know, they were finished in that area. That was the brand new part of the roof and had moved down. And they glued oh the cows to the roof. And, of course, people going up and down the, the street. Just saw cows. They saw cows on the roof. So that was pretty funny. Kind of messed up our roof a little bit, but fortunately the roofers were on site, so we were, you know, able to overcome that. But that was a funnier one. Some of those that you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, right. I would say a, a rewarding one was a property that I had in Anaheim, California. Um, it was a property that uh, worked for a developer at the time. We bought only distressed retail assets, and we bought this one um, out of bankruptcy. I love distressed retail assets. Mm-hmm. Me too. That's my favorite. This piece of property was once owned by family had gone back generations. And an elderly gentleman came into my office one day with tears in his eyes. And he said, please don't let them take my corner. My family sold oranges there as a kid growing up. And I'm never going to let them have that piece of land out there. Please, please, please don't let them take it. And so I got to know him and I worked with him and I finally convinced him and his sister that if they didn't sell the piece of property, the developers would take it by eminent domain. It was on the hard corner in a very highly congested area of Anaheim and the city was going to take it anyway um, because they needed to widen the, the turning lanes in that particular area. We wanted to take that hard corner, what was left of it, and buy it from the city and turn it into... Um, kind of an outdoor dining area for this distressed asset that we bought. Anyway, I did convince him and his sister. I worked with them. They were paid an, a lucrative amount of money for that hard corner, and uh, we remained in contact. So it was just one of those deals that made you feel good um, because otherwise, you know, the city would have just taken it and they would have lost out. There's always rewarding stories, too. But again, it, it goes back to the relationship. You just have to work with people. Yeah. Oh, those are great. Those are great. Scott, anything as we wrap up here? I so appreciate you being here, Michelle. And your expertise is so obvious. I just have a ton of professional respect for you. And in speaking with you, it's we're having a conversation that's occurring on air and then off air because I can just relate to so much of what you're saying. And 
You know, I just internalize it differently because I've been in some of those trenches, but there are ways in property management that everybody's a winner, the owner, the tenant, and the manager. Uh, you have to have a lot of experience and grace to get there. That's probably something I could learn to improve on for Michelle. But, <laughs> but another I, another day, Scott. That's another day. That's right. So, But thank you. It's been great. Yes, thank yeah, you. Thank you so much, Michelle. We appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. For this informational podcast. purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. 